All right, um, if you have your Bible today, I'd like you to turn with me to the book of Galatians, if you will, Galatians chapter 3, and we're going to pick up in verse 1, Galatians chapter 3 and verse 1, and our focus today is actually going to be in uh, verses 10 to 14, but we are going to be looking at several other verses along the way, and so we're just going to, we're just going to hit the whole chapter, and I've titled my sermon today, Working to Get to Heaven, Working to Get to Heaven, and that may seem like kind of an odd, uh, an odd sermon title, because we know that we cannot do that. We cannot work our way into heaven. We cannot earn our salvation. We cannot uh, do any of those things. But be that as it may, there are a lot of people that try to earn their way into heaven by giving to charity, by, uh, by helping out in, in various capacities, uh, whether it be in the church or some other place. Maybe it's, maybe it's being nice to people or, or just doing uh, some, some of the works of the biblical law, trying to keep their nose clean and do some of the Ten Commandments. Uh, a lot of people do that. And I think this is important for us to cover because we just finished up with a long study on the Ten Commandments. We, we started in January, ended in June, and of course uh, COVID had a couple weeks in there for us that, uh, that we didn't talk about the Ten Commandments. But I think it's important for us to cover because we spent all this time talking about the law, biblical law, justice, and so on and so forth. But I don't want anybody to walk out of here under the false impression that we can earn our way to heaven, that we can do anything to merit salvation by keeping these Ten Commandments or any of the other laws. Because uh, a lot of people think, well, if I just do enough good, I'm going to get in on God's good side and He'll let me into the pearly gates and, and that'll be it. But that's not the case. So what I want you to see today is the folly and the foolishness of trying to work to get to heaven. So if you have your Bible open uh, to Galatians 3, please stand with me if you're able. And we're going to pick up in verse 1 and read down to the end of the chapter. Paul says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law, or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So then does He who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you, do it by the works of the law, or by the hearing with faith. Even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are the who are of the faith and are. Ugh. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of the faith who are the sons of Abraham. The Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, "All the nations will be blessed in you." So then, those who are of the faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that in, in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak in terms of human relations. Even though it is only a man's covenant, yet when it has been ratified, no one sets it aside or adds conditions to it. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one, and to you, and to your seed, that is Christ. What I am saying is this. 
The law, which came 430 years later, does not invalidate a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to nullify the promise. For if the inheritance is based on law, it is no longer based on a promise. But God has granted it to Abraham by means of a promise. Why the law then? It was added because of transgressions, having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator, until the seed would come to whom the promise has been made. Now a mediator is not for one party only, whereas God is only one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? May it never be. If law had been given, which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on law. But the Scripture shut up everyone under sin, so that the promise by faith in, in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. Therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ, so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. For you are all the sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you have been baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for, all, for, all, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. Thank you. you may be seated. <clears throat> Now, I know that uh, that was a rather lengthy passage of Scripture, and we don't typically cover a whole chapter, uh, but, but I do just kind of want to uh, help you understand the flow of what, what Paul is talking about, because Paul is real upset when he writes this letter. And whenever you read it, even in English, you can kind of see that he is, it's just like he, he just doesn't understand. He's so frustrated with these Galatians. And what had happened was the gospel was being spread throughout that area. People in Galatia, some of the people had gotten saved. They had started a church. And things were going well for a while. But, but there was a, a movement that started. And this group came in called the Judaizers. And they were causing all kinds of problems. Now, you probably have heard of the Judaizers before. They were a group that said, yes, you must put your faith in Christ to be saved. That's the right thing. But then they also said, uh, if you're going to be a real Christian, you also have to live according to the law of Moses. And especially important to them was the right of circumcision. And they said, if you're going to be a Christian, yes, put your faith in Christ. That's the first step. But the rest of it is you have to do all the works of the law. And, and, and so this, is a, this was such a powerful movement that, that even Peter began to be influenced by this. In uh, Galatians chapter 2, Paul says that he went to Galatia and he, opposed, or he went to Antioch and opposed Peter to his face and called him out on it because Peter had, had let those things influence him and, and he was beginning to, to uh, live a little bit differently. So Paul calls him out on it and Peter straightens it up. So in Galatia, these Judaizers had come in and they were teaching a false gospel which is no gospel at all. And they said, yes, put your faith in Christ, but do the works of the law to be made right with God. And so, so Paul really comes after them in, in chapter 3 about the foolishness of trying to do this, of trying to do the works of the law to make yourself right with God. So I want you to look at the first few verses, and I want you to see this, that depending on our works is a constant temptation. Trying to depend on our works is a constant temptation. Now, if you'll notice what he says in the first few verses, we're not going to read them again. But, but he says that uh, he, he talks a whole lot about this temptation they've given into to try and depend on their works, of, of trying to make themselves right before God. Now, somebody has well said, and it, it's not original to me, I wish that it was, but, but somebody has well noted that there are only two religions in the world. You say, now, I don't, I don't really follow that because there are a whole bunch of religions. There are only two. There are, there's do 
and there's done. There's do and there's done. And, and, and Christianity stands unique, stands apart from all the other world religions because every other religion of the world is man-centered and says man must do this to get to heaven or, or whatever their, their, uh, their happy place is after a person dies. And so it doesn't matter if it's in Buddhism and following the Noble Eightfold Path. It doesn't matter if it's Islam and, and practicing the five pillars of Islam or any other man-centered religion. It all depends on man. But Christianity says the, all that needs to be done for a person to go to heaven has already been done in Jesus Christ on the cross. And so, so this is a, a temptation for those who are outside the faith. But listen, it's a, it's a, it's a common temptation for people who are Christians. It's a common temptation for people who are believers to start out well and go astray. Now, if you'll, if you'll, look, at our, if you'll look at our text, Paul talks about them starting in faith and trying to finish in the flesh. In other words, a lot of people start, they, they recognize their sin, they put their faith in Christ, and then they start to think, well, I really need to, I really need to pull my weight, and, and if I don't do X, Y, and Z, or if I don't do what I'm doing well enough, I'm going to lose my salvation. There are some people in the world today who say there, there are all these things going on in society, and if you don't have these views of, of what's going on, or if you don't do this, this action and that action, you're not really a Christian. That is adding works to salvation. Our salvation is based on Christ. It's, it's, it's based on our faith in Jesus Christ. It's not faith plus works. It's faith alone in Christ alone. And so this, this, this temptation... To depend on our works is, is a very common one. Now, I want you to notice in verses 10 to 14, this is really our focus. Trusting in our ability to keep the law well, to, to keep it well enough to earn salvation is foolish. Trusting in our ability to keep the law good enough to earn salvation is foolish. Look again in your Bibles at what it says in verses 10 to 14, especially 10 and 11. He says, For as many as are of the works of the law, are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is every man who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to to perform them. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith. Now notice what he says. He says that every person, no matter who it is, every person in every place at every time, every person that tries to earn their salvation by law fails. They fail. They're accursed. Now, we like to think we're special, don't we? Right? Now, well, I'm not the only one who thinks I'm special. You guys think I'm special, too. And you think you're, you're special. You think, well, that may be true of 99.9% of the people, but I'm in that 0.1%. I'm in, I'm in that special percent that, well, most people couldn't keep the law good enough to earn their salvation, but I, I probably could. I could, I, could keep my, I, I could even keep my salvation by the things that I do. But listen... That's not what he says. He says, as many as are of the works of the law, those people, that same number, are accursed. Listen, you are not that special. You are not unique in that way. You will fail to keep the law. He, he says another way in, in verse 11, just in case you didn't catch it. He says, no one is justified by the law. Then if you didn't catch it, verses 21 and 22. He says, he says uh, if the law had been given which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on law. And then he says in verse 22 that the that, that, that faith in Christ is, is given to those who believe. Verse 24, Therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ, so that we may be justified not by law, but by faith. 
Or you understand what he's saying? He said the only way to be made right with God is by faith in Christ alone. It's not through works of the law. The righteous shall live by faith, not by law. Now, someone would object. Well, then, Pastor, are you saying that we should just, just cut off the whole Old Testament? Are you saying that we should take Genesis and all the way through Malachi and, and just kind of stick those in the closet and only focus on Matthew through, through Revelation? Is that what we're supposed to do? No, of course not. The law is good. It's profitable. Say, now, Pastor, I don't understand because you're talking about how we shouldn't keep the law to earn our salvation. And now you're saying it's profitable. I don't understand. Well, look at what he says. Paul labors to make the point that faith and law are not the same thing. Verse 21, the law is unable to justify us before God. But it does have a use. Look at verse 19. Here's the use. It was given for transgression. It was given because of transgression. In other words, God gave the law, and I'm talking about the biblical law, the moral law, like the Ten Commandments, for instance. He gave the law because of transgression. He gave the law so that we would know what sin is. And that's a good thing. Because if we were left to ourselves, if God said, you, you just figure out what is sin, what is right and what is wrong, each of us would have a different list. And amazingly, coincidentally, all of our lists of what a righteous life looks like would probably look a lot like ours. But no, God says, these are the things that reflect my nature, that reflect my character. So this is sin, this is not. Avoid that, do this. He shows us in verse 19, he says that the law was given because of transgression so that we would know what sin is. The the Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is what? Death. And so the law shows us what sin is. It shows us the enormity of sin. It shows us the sinfulness of sin. And that in turn points us to Christ. So faith and law are not the same thing. They are contrary to one another in the sense that they don't have, both have the ability to justify us before God, but they are related because law points us to Christ. It points us to our need for salvation. Now you think about a straight edge. Can anybody here draw a straight line without a straight edge? I can't. Sometimes I can't even draw one with a straight edge because I'll be drawing and my, my ruler will move and I'll have a crooked straight line. A straight edge, whether it be from a level or a ruler or whatever it is, that shows us what's true. It shows us what's straight. God's law is like that. And so when we do actions or have thoughts or, or attitudes or whatever it is that deviate from that, God's law is straight. We can see how far we're going astray. We can see that what we're doing, what we're thinking, uh, our attitudes, they don't line up with what God's law says. And so, so we can see that because God has given us His law. And we can realize, I try my best and I'm still going astray. I try my best and I'm still not getting it right. And that should lead us to Jesus. Because we realize we don't have the ability to fix that on our own. No matter how hard we try, we don't have that ability in and of ourselves. Now, if you look at verse 24, Paul says that the law is a tutor. It's a tutor. The, the Greek word that's used there is where we get our big English word, pedagogue. So I've never even heard that word. Well, here's what it means. Back in that day, a, a person, many times it was, it was an educated slave, was in charge of getting the, of getting the boys to school. 
that, that person, that pedagogue, did not teach the boys. It was their job to ensure the boys got to school, and if, if they were educated, they might help them in their work, but their job was to escort them to the teacher. That's what the law is. It is not the thing that teaches us. It's the one that gets us to the teacher, right? It, the, the pedagogue, if, if you've ever worked with a bunch of, of kids, especially a bunch of boys, you know, you kind of have to corral them, right? They, they kind of get mischievous. And that's, that's what the pedagogue would deal with. He'd keep them out of mischief. He'd keep them from transgression. And that's what the law does. The, the, the law is not the teacher. The law gets us to the teacher. It, it, it keeps us from transgression. It keeps us from mischief. But it ultimately leads us to the great teacher, Jesus Christ. And he is the one who changes the heart. The law doesn't change the heart. It cannot bring life. That is only found in Christ. Now that all leads us to, to, to Paul's grand conclusion, and that is salvation is through faith alone in Christ alone. If you'll, if you'll look back at verses 10 to 14, verse 13 says that Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law. How? By becoming a curse for us. Now this is important. So I want you, if, if you've tuned me out, tune back in for just a minute. Jesus became a curse for us. Now listen, Jesus did not remove the penalty of sin by just saying, Ah, oh, you're a good old boy, come on in. You're good enough, come on in. We'll, we'll, just, we'll just ignore that. That's not what, what Jesus did. The Bible says he became a curse for us. He took the place of those who would trust in him. We get this language of substitution. Now, the Bible talks about this a lot. For instance, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, says, He made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Or again in 1 Peter 2, 24, And he himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. That actually is a, a reference back to the Old Testament book of Isaiah, Isaiah 53, verses 4 to 6. It says, surely, now I want you to listen to the, to the language of substitution. I want you to listen to the hours and the he's. Okay, listen to what, what Isaiah 53 says. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. And yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Same idea. The Bible says that Jesus is our substitute. The Bible uses the language of propitiation. And that's a great big Bible word that means that he paid the price. He made satisfaction for God's wrath and justice. And a lot of people look at the cross, and what do they see? They see the love of God, and no doubt it is on display in the cross. But if you do not see the wrath of God against sin, you don't see the whole picture of the cross. Because what we do is we want to focus on the love, and it's definitely there. But we don't want to think about the punishment. And many times we, we disconnect these things in our mind. I'm not sure why. But what we usually do, I think, is, is we say, yes, Jesus died on the cross for sinners. And at the same time, we know that, that God will accept sinners into heaven based on what Jesus did. 
But we don't think about how those things intertwine, how they connect. Here's the connection. God is going to punish sin. Either Jesus took the punishment for that sin, or the person's going to endure the punishment for that sin in hell. See, God doesn't just wink at sin and say, oh, I'll just act like it never happened. He accepts people into heaven because his righteous requirement for justice has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ on the cross. He paid the price that our sin deserved. Our sin is credited to Christ. He took the punishment for that. And at the same time, his perfect righteousness, his perfect obedience to the law that we can't do, that's credited to us. The Bible uses the language of imputation. It's it's a crediting to our account. And that's a a pretty good deal, isn't it? We give him our sin, he gives us his righteousness. We give him all the things that lead to death, and he gives us eternal life. So our salvation is based not on Jesus plus works, but on Jesus and Jesus alone. And what did Paul say in verse 21? If the law could impart life, righteousness would be based on the law. Said another way, if there's another way to get to heaven besides faith in Christ, then the cross was the blunder of eternity. Because it wouldn't be needed. But as it is, the cross is the center point of history. And so Paul repeats this over and over. Verse 13, the righteous shall live not by law, by faith. Verse 22, the promises are for all who believe. Verse 24, we are justified by faith. Romans 4, Paul talks about this at length. And he talks about the blessed man. He says the blessed man is the one to whom Christ does not, or to whom God does not uh, take into account his sins. So Romans 4, verses 1 to 8. What then shall we say about say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, is found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness, just as David also speaks of the blessing on the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those, this is a quotation from a psalm, blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. I'm going to say this as plainly as I know how. You and I are sinners. And apart from Christ, we stand rightfully condemned because we've not believed on the Son of God. Our sin has separated us from God, and the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the way that we we receive that eternal life is by putting our faith in Christ, by trusting in Him alone for salvation, recognizing that salvation is not based on what we've done or what we can do. Because the Bible says, Cursed is everyone who does not keep all the law. You think you're going to get to heaven by keeping the law? Well, just we, we've talked about the Ten Commandments the last several weeks. Compare yourself to the Ten Commandments. Ten things. I don't even do all ten. See how you stack up. Do you ever put anything in God's place? Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Do you do that perfectly? Do you ever order your life around things and people other than God? Are your affections set primarily on something besides the Lord? 
Have you ever taken the name of the Lord your God in vain? Use it flippantly. Use it in profanity. Have you ever failed to honor father and mother like, like the Bible says? You ever mouthed off to them? Been disrespectful to them? Lied to them? Have you lied? It? Period. Have you stolen something? Have you badmouthed someone behind their back with gossip and slander? Have you called somebody up and said, oh, you'll never guess what I heard? Then you tear somebody down? Have you ever coveted somebody's stuff, their clothes, their boyfriend, girlfriend, vehicle, husband, wife, land? Said, man, I wish I had that. All those things are violations of God's law. And someone would say, yeah, but pastor, I have lied, but I haven't killed anybody. Well, congratulations. Sometimes we say, well, I haven't done this. Yeah, I've done that, but I haven't done these things. So many things I haven't done wrong. Yeah, these are, I've done those, but not these. I've I've done good in those areas. Well, think about this. If if, If there was a judge and they had a guilty person before them, had done some heinous crime, and the judge looked at the person getting ready to render sentence on that person, and that person appealed to the judge and said, Judge... I know that I've, I've committed this murder, we'll say. I've committed this murder, but I, haven't, I didn't speed. I don't, I, if, if there's a pedestrian in the crosswalk, I wait for him. I don't jaywalk. I pay my taxes on time, and they give a big list of all the laws they have kept. Does that negate the law that they broke? No. And if that judge were to say, you know what? You don't jaywalk, therefore I'm going to say the murder you did was okay, I'll just not look at that. Is that judge righteous? Absolutely not. And that's the point. We can keep all these laws, but that doesn't negate the ones that we've broken. And if God were to say, well, that's okay, I'll just ignore those because he kept these, that would be unrighteousness on the part of God. And he will not do that. God is a righteous God. He is a just God. And we can't plead some excuse that we've kept these even though we've broken those. It's not going to work. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus voluntarily gave himself as a sacrifice for sinners like you and me. And therefore, the Bible says that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That means no matter what you've done, if you will call on Christ for salvation, you will be saved. You'll find him a perfect and complete Savior. And if you've never trusted in Christ for salvation, I urge you, I call on you to do that today. But I know that many of us have done that. And even as I read some of those Ten Commandments and and we thought about some of those things, it's not real comfortable even for us as Christians, is it? Because we look at that and even after we've been saved, even after we're a Christian, maybe for many years... We still fail in a lot of those areas. We don't keep the law perfectly. Listen, your salvation is not based on the things that you do. And it's tempting to fall into this line of thinking like the, like the Galatians did and think that we can start in faith and finish in the flesh. Your salvation is not gotten by you and it's not kept by you. Do you realize how, how, how terrible of a situation it would be 
If your eternal destiny depended on how tightly you held on to Christ, think about that. I'm glad that my salvation is not based on what I do, but what he does and what he has done. You say, well, I can't even keep the Ten Commandments on my own. That's right. That's only ten things. We must rest and trust in the, in, in, in the power of the Holy Spirit to enable us to do those things. Because Christ's grace is our only hope of salvation. Faith alone in Christ alone, apart from works of the law. I want you to stand with me as musicians come. And as you stand, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And with nobody looking around, I'm not going to I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to ask you to volunteer information. But I want you to search your own heart. You know that you failed in keeping the law. You know that you failed before you got saved. You know you failed since you've gotten saved. Listen, you didn't work to, if, if you're a Christian, you didn't work to get your salvation You didn't earn it by your works. You can't lose it by your works. But that is not a license to sin. Because our our goal in life is to glorify God. And God's law tells us what's right and what's wrong. And it could be that you're here and I I listed just a few of the Ten Commandments, just ten things. And we we fail in, in all of them at some point in our life. And maybe you have never experienced the salvation that comes through faith in Christ. If that's you, call upon the name of the Lord for salvation. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for, uh, for your word that calls us to the carpet. And uh, we can fool ourselves into thinking we're doing pretty good in life. Until we start looking at, at your holy and righteous requirements and we look at our lives and realize that we, we fall so short, we miss the mark, we, we go astray. Sometimes we've, we, we do it, it's, it's, it's an intentional thing. We give in to temptation. And in that moment we'd rather disobey than obey. God, we pray that you would forgive us for those times. Thank you that, that uh, even in those, uh, those periods in our lives when we go through that, we're thankful that there's forgiveness. We're thankful that we're not alone and that this is what every Christian experiences. We do the things we don't want to do and we don't do the things we do want to do. We thank you for your grace, for your forgiveness, and we pray that you'd help each of us to live according to your standards. And God, for that person who's never accepted Christ as their Savior, maybe they stand condemned today, I pray that you would convict them, even where they're, where they're at right now, and let them call upon you and you alone for salvation, because we know that it's not based on works that we do, it's not based on works plus Christ, it's Christ and what he did on the cross. And God, we pray that uh, you would do your will in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.